Welcome to The One Guys Show, where we're going to be bringing you nutritional and mindset insights to help you gain nutritional freedom, lose weight faster, build a winner's mindset, all without the stress, guesswork, and sacrifice that you're used to. Now, this podcast specializes in helping women break free from the dieting shackles that society has placed them in and provides them with a clear path to success. So let's dive in. And we're in. We're back, team, for another episode. This time we have a guest. Now, I think we've probably talked about this for the past two months, about getting another guest on. And um, yeah, we haven't actually been successful with getting a guest on and we keep forgetting. But I think we've come back with, with a good guest, don't you, Hayden? Absolutely. Oh yeah, those of you on YouTube, you can actually see our guest already. So that kind of spoiled it. Everyone's <laughs> just listening. You can't see our guest. <laughs> you don't know who she is. Uh, so without further ado, introduce yourself. Hello, thank you for having me on the podcast. I am Emma Story Gordon. I'm an online personal trainer and I'm here to talk about, what did we say we were going to talk about? Female fat loss generally. Dieting pit bulls. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Something uh, clickbait. No, placing your happiness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were trying to get as many views <laughs> as possible on the podcast with Emma present. Um, no, the first one was about why you shouldn't place your happiness on X weight as in like, I'll be happy when I get to X weight. And then also diving into the common pitfalls as to why basically you're not seeing the results you want to set, see despite, you know, your time, effort and everything being put into it basically. Okay. Yeah. This was something that I think comes up quite a lot with clients. I don't know if you guys get the same, but this notion that you'll be happy when you weigh X amount of weight or almost like, delaying your happiness or delaying doing things until you reach a certain goal or a certain number and it doesn't have to be weight like people do this in all areas of life it could be I'll be happy when I've got a mortgage and a fancy car and 2.5 kids or when I'm married or any of these things and actually it's none of that that makes you happy and and waiting for those like external things to make you happy you get there and you realize that it wasn't that so Obviously, we see that more in fat loss because that's what we work on. But setting things like scale weight goals. And that uh, we had numerous discussions with clients who are like, oh, on my wedding day, I weighed 65 kilograms. I was really happy then. So that's my goal now. And you're like, do you think that there might have been something else on your wedding day that made you happy aside from the fact that you weighed 65 <laughs> kilograms? Like, just pin it out there. There might, there might be something else going on. Or you'll look know. back at like when you were at uni probably i mean if your uni was anything like mine it was like basically no life stress i mean it seemed stressful at the time but mm. realistically it was not very stressful i still say that we got free money even though i'm paying it back i mean i don't know <laughs> at the time i thought it was free and now i'm like oh it wasn't yeah free, you have to it. pay back your student loan you know? <laughs> <laughs> i was that. sold up the river yeah so so didn't sign anyway it's just like a, a carefree time in your life that most people have a really good time and you're like oh yeah when i i felt really good then i weighed 65 kilograms it's like well yeah, but you also didn't have like all of these other life stresses that you have now. So I think when people attribute their happiness to that, it's often just an easy scapegoat. Like it's much easier to be like, mm-hmm. hmm, do you know what might make me feel better? Dieting, as opposed to figuring out all the reasons why actually I'm not very happy with my life at the moment. So that mm. is one thing. And then the more I was thinking about it, the more I was like, I actually think there is a link between happiness and how much you weigh 
but the link isn't I'm happy because I weigh X weight or I'm happy because of how lean I am or how much body fat I have. The link is actually when you're happy, it's so much easier to look after yourself, to exercise more, to fuel your body with nutritious food. Like when you actually love yeah. yourself and you, you, you're being a friend to yourself, those behaviors are so much easier and you never hate yourself into change. So really the link there is that you like yourself. It's easier to do these behaviors. You want to do these behaviors. You want to put, you know, invest time, effort and money into yourself. And that's why as a byproduct, you might have weighed less. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I completely agree. I, that's I think on the, um, like flip side of it as well is like, so many people are chasing this, like it's whether it be a number or like a certain time in their life, like you were saying beforehand, like back at uni and stuff like that, that it is actually that there's no correlation as well between the scale weight. Like I think a lot of people lose their connection. So they, they often think about like, we get this so many times that women come into the program and typically they remember when they're in that carefree state of a time in their life and they had less body fat, they weighed less and they have now like completely changed their life in one way, shape or form, but they are no longer happy as much as they were prior to being like, at, like you said, university, young age or anything like that. And they probably do think like, oh, do you know what? I was definitely thinner back then. But I think most times when you move along anyway, like when it comes to like fat loss, you do see yourself kind of like slide past when life gets in the way and stuff. It's like an easy scapegoat, like you said, to be like, oh, I gained weight because of this, 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 and this. But I often see like a lot of connection missing. So we speak a lot about this a lot in our program. And we say to our ladies, it's like, think back to that time in your life. And yes, you're saying that it is, that you think it's that scale weight number, it's that 10 kilos, it's whatever it might be. But what was really happy about that time in your life and then they start to actually lift things like completely external away from like weight loss. Like, oh, me and my friends used to do this. We used to go and do this. We used to do that. And it's like, okay, what are you doing right now? And it's like none of those things. So we're, we speak a lot, don't we, inside the academy about like more chasing those things of like, you know, what truly makes you happy again and coming back to their connection point of getting to those places. Like I've worked with some women before and it's like, it's really bizarre because obviously we're, it's like, the weight loss foundations that we talk about, fat loss foundations inside the course. But it's some of the things it's like connecting with like old friends that they'd lost connection with that they truly used to like love and like appreciate those moments and stuff. And even in those small moments, like everything has become so much easier for them and from an adherent standpoint in like keeping to the calories and stuff because they're now no longer um, looking as food as the source of comfort but they've now got these other things that they've connected with again, which um, again, as a byproduct, actually helps their adherence further. Do yeah. you think there's also yeah. potentially an element of, I was just thinking about this as you were talking, like you know when you look back on a relationship, like say someone's kind of like broken your heart and you look like, oh, I miss them so much. Like they, it was just such a good time. And then your mate's like, you were freaking miserable in that relationship. <laughs> like, and you kind of yeah. put them on this pedestal of like, oh, they would, you know, I was so happy when I was with them. And they're like, no, <laughs> no, you weren't. And like, sometimes I think we do look back on things and like, oh, I was so happy when I was that lean. It's like, <laughs> you were freaking miserable when you were that lean because you'd like massively yeah. over restricted to get there. And actually, your quality of life was shit. <laughs> but you're looking back at this photo thinking, oh, I look really happy in that photo. And I remember this, this, and this was good. But you, you're maybe actually just looking at your highlights and that kind of in hindsight 
you forget all of the the awful stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and th- that's the thing. Like when it, it it's it's placing our happiness on different things and thinking that we'll be happy then. Exactly like you said, you, you could be happy at any moment. It's just that like you're placing happiness on something that you need to work towards. I think that also comes because I think every human being needs a purpose. So it's nice to be like, oh, I've got something to look forward to that I'm working towards. But then I think we get lost because we then ultimately just focus on this outcome. Like we're going to be happy when we get here. And like we talk about it a lot, like you then kind of take away the enjoyment of the process. And I always say this in our academy, I'm like, no sports team just focuses on winning the league because that's not going to get you there. There's no point on focusing in this this number of weight that you're going to be happy at. Every team focuses on, you know, their recovery, each training session, their ability to, you know, practice their shooting, for example, in football, practice their whatever it is they're not as good at. And they enjoy the process to win the league because the people at the bottom of the league and the people at the top of the league who are going to win have the same goal of reaching that but it's the process and the stuff that they enjoy along the way that makes that fun and I think that's where everyone gets lost because they're constantly also trying to just work towards this outcome and the outcome also is is not tangible which is why they then get annoyed I think as well because we're chasing this happiness to get there but then we're forgetting about like what are the steps that are actually going to take you there instead of just chasing this holy grail of happiness at 60 kilos or size 10 for example it's like well what's actually going to get you there that's tangible and i think that's when like that's when motivation dwindles that's when you start to feel like well what the hell you know i've got so long to get there to get to my happy place and we ultimately just think about the gap of like oh well i've got how long is this going to take like i've got to be unhappy for this much time until i finally get to my happy place and it's like well actually you could be happy now and i know it sounds again cliche but like Every single person has something to be happy about and to be grateful for. Maybe this is society. We're a little bit entitled nowadays and we think that we deserve everything. But like the fact that we're able to be on a Zoom now, we should be happy about that. The fact that we've got businesses, we can afford microphones and we can help educate people. Like that is something to be happy about. I'm happy that I was able to get a haircut before the podcast. Like that's cool. But we we often... Why is that funny? Is that something wrong Looks with it? great, man. We often kind of forget about like the now and we're constantly like chasing like the future or we're dwelling on the past and i think i mean i'm going to have rabbit holes here but i think if we learn to live in the present that also helps rather than chasing this happiness for something materialistic whether it's weight cars clothes money yeah i think especially with fat loss and people always the question is how long will it take and it's almost it doesn't it doesn't Mm. matter if you the other thing is for a lot of people if you just take the pressure off and you're like, are you actually enjoying what you're doing now? Like if I took away the goal of weight loss or any kind of goal at all, what would you do? And they're like, oh yeah, I, I like going to the gym because it makes me feel good in the moment. And I like feeling my body because it gives me good energy and I actually feel better when I'm eating well. Right. So why are you worried about when you're going to reach the end? Like it will happen. We can't tell you how long it's going to take. It doesn't mm. really matter how long it's going to take. Because when you get there, there'll yeah. be another goal. Yeah. And it's not a race yeah. and an analogy I always like to use, which is a little bit cheesy is if you think of it, like any goal, kind of like a road trip, the point of a road trip is to enjoy the trip, right? If you're waiting to get to the destination, that's the end of the trip. Like you're waiting to get to the end. So the point is enjoying the journey. And if you can start mm. to enjoy the journey, then like maintenance, then the whole process becomes so, so, so much easier. And it's probably mm. one of the biggest problems that people face is, you know, that impatience of when will I yeah. get results? When will I see this? And mm. taking that pressure off yourself and just 
focusing mm. on the fundamentals. What what can I do today to get me closer to that goal? Even if I can't see it tangibly, what can I do? And something that Emil talks about quite a lot actually is how important, well, actually this is maybe my version of it. And I don't know if he'll hundred percent agree. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, Emil, you can't take credit. For yeah. I think goals are really important, but they're also not important at the same time. So a goal is important because it gives you direction and it gives you focus. And like you say, it gives you purpose. It gives you something to focus on. But whether you actually meet that goal or not is pretty arbitrary and it will never be as sweet as what you think. Like if you have a scale weight goal, which you shouldn't, by the way, but if you do have a scale weight goal and you reach that goal, you'll realize nothing special happens at 60 kilograms. Like it felt Mm. exactly the same as the day before at 61. Nothing happens there. but who you become in the process of getting there and what you achieve in the process of getting there, i.e. the confidence that you get, like the fitness that you have, the improved health, the improved relationship with food, everything you've learned about nutrition, that, that's what's important. Mm. Actually, that you weigh 60 kilograms doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Yeah. It's like self-discovery, isn't it? It's almost like it's, you're, the problem is, and I think this is kind of two things, is that like we see weight loss has almost been dragged into societal norms, as in like everything in society we want yesterday. You know, we're constantly trying to have faster cars, faster internet, faster computers, faster phone. Like ev- we realize that time is the most precious commodity we have. So everything in the world is trying to be factored into being quick, short, and sharp. And unfortunately, weight loss has fallen into that. Whereas what we've got to realize is weight loss isn't A to B. It's not technology. It's not a car. It's a- ultimately, it's a lifestyle. It's living for longevity. And this is what you've got to see is that actually losing weight is just part of leading a healthy lifestyle and, and living for longevity. That's just almost like the start of it. But what you've got to realize is that's not just the only part. You know, the process to get that started going, to get to a relevant body fat level that's, you know, quote unquote healthy per se. But there's that's like a tenth of the journey. Do you know? And exactly like you said, it's a journey. Like that's just getting to the, okay, cool. Now my body composition is where I want it. Right. Now I've got all of these habits. I've got all of these um, behaviors and everything that I've got to keep doing continually, you know, that's going to keep me where I'm at in this journey and ultimately going to allow me to live along fruition um, of life and stuff rather than just seeing as weight loss, just the sole entity of itself being an A to B. It's actually just a kickstart, like you said, into the journey. It's a part of it that's then going to be continuing on, you know, building your confidence, your relationship with food, avoiding getting ill, being around, living as long as you can to see grandchildren. It's like these are all the byproducts that a part of this journey at the end, but society's kind of made us think that it's like everything else. We need short, sharp, and whoever's got the quickest answer to the problem is going to win. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it with byproduct. I think weight loss is always a byproduct and it's a much better way to think of it because, you know, as we know, one thing that can trip people up is the fact that the scales don't measure body fat loss and that these will fluctuate, Mm. especially for women up and down independently of whether your body composition has changed or not. And that's something that can be massively demotivating for people because they're putting all of this pressure on a scale weight, which isn't even measuring their outcome goal. But if you think of that as a byproduct, and actually your outcome goal is your process goal. So your outcome goal every Mm. week is, did I hit my steps? Did I feel my body right in accordance to my energy needs? Did I get my workouts in? Did I sleep X amount of time? Like, you know, all these things that are the actions that get you to that end goal, which is a byproduct of your actions. So your actions should mm-hmm. now be how you define if you're having, you know, if this has been a successful week or not. That's your definition of that. 
And the scale weight will come as a byproduct. Just let it happen. Don't worry about it. Mm. Don't put pressure on it. That will happen on its own. Yeah. It's literally what I always say, isn't it, Hayden? I'm like, you, the weight loss is simply a byproduct of your habits and behaviors. You didn't look to gain the weight. It was a byproduct of your habits and behaviors and lifestyle that you had. So, and this is what we talk about, like the cause, a cause rather than addressing the problem. You have to therefore realize that unless you change your habits and behaviors and your lifestyle, that that doesn't matter what diet you do. And even if you get to your goal weight, because ultimately that default habits and behaviors that you have will just slip straight back in and you'll fall down. So weight loss is a byproduct of everything else you're doing. And you're so right. And it also takes then weight loss off a pedestal. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, oh, don't worry about losing weight. Let's just focus on it, like my habits and behaviors that are going to lead to this healthy lifestyle that I'm after. And my body composition will just follow suit with that. Yeah. Linking in with like the goals, what you talk about, like, I think it's like a really interesting thing that we, we kind of see inside the academy, don't we? Because everyone always does like When you come into like a program, you've always like, you've always got that number, like whether that be like five, 10, 15 kilos or whatever it is to you, for whatever reason you've got that number because of what we spoke about previously, like previous dieting histories and all that kind of thing. But one of the biggest things that I typically see, and I don't know if you see this inside of like your kind of um, programs as well, is the difference between someone being like successful short-term and long-term is the expectations with those goals that they're then setting. So we, we talk about, like when I'm onboarding a client, this is like one of the biggest things that I crush from the off. Like say they come to me and they say like, hey, I want to lose 15 kilos. And I will find out straight away exactly what their expectations are, but also what their reality is. Because most people go into this um, goal that they have thinking that, you know, my goal is to lose X amount of weight, but it doesn't actually match their reality. And then what happens there is because their expectations up here, they think, right, because of previous dieting history, like, I lost this amount in this much time. Like I should be doing that again. But what they miss is like their reality is now down here because what was previously when they lost 15 kilos, like they had no stress. They weren't even working. Like they um, were naturally exercising much more. They had the time to do this. But now they have full-time jobs. Like they've got children. They've got all of these different things, but their expectations are still here 20 years ago when they lost all of that weight. Mm. But their reality now doesn't match. So that's often like the first thing that I will try and get their head around and be like, okay, well, you've got this number. And I always just like you said, like almost like take that number, the pinch of salt. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you've got that number. And I'll kind of coach them around that process. But my very first thing that I'll do is make sure we can start matching that expectation of reality at the same level playing field rather than them like coming in and like the amount of times that I know I could think about when I used to personal train. And I used to talk about goals and I never used to talk about all of these other things as well. But if they didn't lose that two, was it two pounds that my fitness pal tells them that they should be losing each week or something mm. like that? They're like, what's going on? I'm broken. Like something's up. Like, how is this happening? But then now all of a sudden when you can coach them through that process and you can be like, okay, well, this is actually what's going on previously. This is what's going on now. I find a lot of their goals change straight from the off. So they came into the program, like I want to lose 15 kilos. And within a couple of days, all of a sudden they're like, Actually, I know that's not even, it doesn't really mean anything. Realistic. Yeah, it's not even realistic. So their goals shift mm. straight away. And then they're the clients that I typically see. Like, it's not just like, um, like fast results, they get or anything like that. It's literally like those long-term results because they start to apply this in all areas of their life. 
Because all of a sudden, when a robot comes up, it will never to be happen. Like if you're listening to this and you're absolutely smashing it at the moment, like roadblocks will always happen. Like we saw with COVID, like that took a mass, like hit a roadblock for everyone. Um, you now have, know how to deal with that because you're, you can understand your expectations. You can manage your priorities. And I mean, I'm going deep now, but yeah, that's, um, that's kind of what we typically see is I always say like <clears throat> expectations is probably one of the biggest pitfalls. Like myself personally, I see people have when they're not matching it with that reality. I think, yeah, sometimes there's a mismatch between the results that you expect to get from the effort that you're willing to put in. And I think one thing about weight loss, which is kind of cool, I guess, is that it's fair. Like in terms of creating an energy deficit over time, like that's going to be your driver of results. So, you know, for some people it is harder and there's genetic reasons for that and there's lifestyle reasons for that. And like you both touched on stress a little bit. And one thing I work on quite a lot and a message I try and get across is that almost all of your life stresses are actually gifts. Like if you're like, oh, yeah, but I've got three kids and, you know, I've started going back to uni at night those are positives like how dare you turn that into a stress yeah. like in a negative way like i'm not saying it's not stressful it is but i think we have this connotation of or like these connotations around stress as being like negatives like okay so do you want me to take your life stresses away do you want me to take your three kids away and now you're not going to university like is that, is that what you want because like mm -hmm. those are the choices that you've made and actually if you have a stress-free life it means that you have nothing going on in your life yeah like stress isn't a bad thing and I think reframing that, then people are like, oh, okay, actually, I'm, I'm really grateful for my life stresses. It, it stops you like almost like working against yourself and you start working with yourself. Like, yeah, I do have these things to balance. And that's bloody impressive. Like if someone can, you know, do it you know, start a nighttime degree and also be looking after three kids and be losing fat at the same time, like that's massively impressive. Mm. But it's that notion that like stress is always a bad thing. And I just try and like don't reframe really that a little bit. Yeah. Bang on. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's got that reframing um, element to it, isn't it? It's like, you can either use that and sit there and feel sorry for yourself and go against like how the world is against you. Or you can use these as opportunities to be like, do you know what? Like I'm going to come out better than this. Like I'm going to come back on the other side. And this is an opportunity for me to learn and grow. So when that stress appears in my life again, which it probably inevitably will, you know how to deal with it and you know how to move forward every single time rather than be like, oh shit, this stress has hit me again. That's it. Panic mm. button, stop. Life on pause. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a victim mentality, yeah. isn't it? Of, oh no, well, this is happening to me. Oh no. And that, like, that, yeah. you can't grow from a victim mentality. And one, no. something that I sort of always approach in my life is even if it's not my fault, I make it my responsibility. Like, is there something I can do about this? And that gives you that locus of control that, yeah, do you know what? Even, even if it wasn't necessarily your responsibility, you can still like take responsibility for you. It's yeah. your life. So even if you've been dealt yeah. a hard like card, hand of cards or whatever, like you still have the power to do something then. If you don't and if you choose not to, then there's like, I mean, that's the choice that yeah. you're making as well. And each, each choice has a consequence. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that, it is, it's that mindset, isn't it? It's that, that, I'm reading the book mindset at the moment and it talks a lot about that fix and growth mindset. And it is like some people feel almost like hard done by. And I'm like, every situation is not necessarily in control about what happens, but every situation you're in control about how you respond to it. 
and I remember Tony Robbins said, it's like your actions, like your emotions govern your actions, which govern your results. And I think when we're stressed, we struggle to manage our emotions. So actually what I think a lot of, you know, we help a lot of our clients with stress management, you know, whether it's looking at going for a walk, having a bath, podcast, uh, listen to a podcast, journaling, meditating, whatever it might be. And people are like, what's this got to do with fat loss? And I'm like, well, if we can get your stress down, which then can help you manage your emotions better. And it's like, this is why I think it's also weight loss is like multifaceted, isn't it? It goes in so many directions, not just nutrition. It's like everything about it. It then gives the individual control, I think, to, and I always talk about like the trigger and the response. It's like, what we want to do is we want to stretch the gap. At the moment, the trigger happens, the response is like, bang, straight away. And it's like, you get upset, chocolate, bang, it's the immediate thing. Well, if we can create a, a gap between the trigger and the response in life and in your stress and whatever, that's also going to benefit you as well because it gives you that fraction of a time to be like, and I always say this to our clients, I'm like, a great question to ask yourself, and I'm pretty sure James Smith said it the other day, is like, ask yourself, is this conducive? No, it was, I think it was a fitness chef, actually. It was like, is this conducive to your goals? Like whenever you're making a decision, like when you're stressed and you're about to do something, it's like, just take a second and just say, you know, is this conducive to my goals? Because then also, again, it's all about putting you in control and allowing you to take responsibility of how you're going to react to what is about to happen. Well, I think that's one of the key benefits <clears throat> to tracking. Like people think the benefits to tracking is the numbers. It's not. It's that stop between there's something I want to eat and oh, I'll have to put it in my fitness pal. Oh, actually, it doesn't really fit my goals for today. Oh, I'm not going to yeah. do it. That's so much more important mm. than numbers. And it's funny that you bring up that. Like, so you're reading mindset at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think at the moment, so when I was reading it, I was like, everyone I met and like every conversation I had, I was like, fixed mindset. <laughs> <laughs> like constantly, like throughout. Yeah, like, I know you what you just, mean. You notice it in like every aspect of everything. Like, oh, you know, when people are like, yeah, yeah, it's quite like a perfectionist mindset or like I'm an all or nothing person. I'm like, fixed mindset. Mm. That doesn't have to be yeah. you. And then what you're talking about, stimulus and response. I don't know if you've read Man's Search for Meaning. No, no, such no. a good book, like incredible book, and it's really short, which is why I like it because I have quite a short attention span. I was, I was literally like, "Where's, where's my phone?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it it will sound strange, but it's by um, or it's written by a man in a, in a concentration camp. But one of the quotes from it is, "Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is your power to choose your response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom." And I mean, that's true for fat loss, but it, it, when, when you see it and when you read it about it in such an extreme condition, I think yeah. there's something about that that makes it resonate so much. You're like, no, no, none of your excuses <laughs> lay up to this. Like this person is in mm -hmm. a concentration camp and they're still saying yeah. that I have power in how I choose to respond mm -hmm. to things. And realistically, you have very little power in a concentration camp. But <laughs> if you still think, okay, well, actually my response is my power. And that's true for anything. And it yeah. gives you so much like confidence in your ability to deal with things. Like use like lockdown and things as an example. You can have a victim mentality to that and be like, well, there's nothing I can do now, like completely out of my control. There are aspects that will always be out of your control. And in fact, most of life is out of your control, but what you can control is your response to things. Like you can't control what happens to you, yeah. but you can control how you respond to what happens to you. And that will mm. probably dictate your life. End of. Yeah. And I think I always say this, prevent or, proje uh, proje prevent or project. And I'm like, when you're faced with stuff in life, like whether it's pain and it's bad things that happen, you've got two options. You can let it prevent you, hold you back. You can be known as this, you know, we've all been through hard stuff and it's like, you can either be known by it, you can let it 
like take ownership of you and prevent you actually achieving what it is you want you to achieve, or you can use it as fuel and you can use it as fuel to project you. You've, you've got two options. And I think this is where we get trapped in this, in this, in, in entitled. This is this entitlement trap. We feel like we're entitled within the world at the moment as like, we're always, you know, it's unfair that, you know, why can't I earn more money or why can't I have a happy family? It's like, you can, it's just, you've got to work. Like nothing comes easy. You've just got to, um, work towards it. A great book, if you like that, is this one, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. Oh, by you'll, John you'll have to send me that after. But it is, it is such a good point. Insane. And I think it's almost flipped a little bit now. Like, I'm always a little bit wary of saying like everything I did during lockdown because I turned it into a positive. And I was like, right, we're all stuck here. You know, like I wrote a nutrition course with my business partner. I started yeah. a group co- coaching program that has like 600 people every eight weeks that we intake like i grew my business like my business has grown probably about eightfold during the last year or so because i put the effort in and because i put work in but sometimes you know other people might hear that and then be like oh well you know i was going through a lot and i wasn't mentally in the place to do that and that's fine and it's it's not really about comparing yourself or being like this is how i responded to this and you responded the wrong way that isn't what anyone's saying but it's that you Mm -hmm. have a choice in that and you can respond to you know like your shittest breakups and stuff can force you to do you know push yourself in different ways yeah yeah you're so right and i think that but it was the same with us like me and hayden were exactly the same our business was exactly the same like i went from 1700 followers before lockdown and that and ended up at 52,000 now that's and mad. So it's like and our business just blew up um, in every aspect and we took it but on the flip side I don't mind saying this we worked our asses off because we had so much time we're like let's just go all in like let's just really like maximize everything by the by one part of it was also my mental health was the worst my anxiety was through the roof I didn't leave the house for three days because even trying to go out the house I was being sick because I was getting myself so worked up so it's like well, yeah I did all this amazing stuff but also had the worst mental health thing but I ultimately had the choice it's like Okay, I could now just be like, oh, well, I had a good run, but now like, I better just like shut shop. And I was like, no. And I remember speaking to Hayden like the next day and I was like, right, I've got some serious work to do. I need to pull everything back. And it, it was my responsibility. Do you know what I mean? I was like, it wasn't anyone else's issue. We're all in a lockdown. It was all rubbish. Mental health has taken a hit. But it's like I had a choice. I could either just succumb to it and stay inside. Or I was like, right, what, what do I do before to manage it? What can I do now? Because... I know that I can get out of this place. I've just got to be willing to like put it. And I think that's the difference in that fixed or growth. It's like, I didn't see, oh, that's it. I'm an anxiety person. I was like, I'm a person that has anxiety, but I can push forward from this. And I think that's where like, I didn't label myself as someone that is that. I just label myself as someone that has it. But ultimately I have the responsibility and ownership to like, push through that as well but if you so especially when like it first happened and like are you happy for me to talk about this a little bit yeah okay so obviously when it first happened and stuff and you were like you had that option didn't you of where you could have easily just like stayed in bed like stayed up like stayed in the house like didn't go out anything but you took like the option to have a situation that was really really negative to you and completely like spin that into a positive and be like right okay i'm going to learn from this so you went to that like psychologist and stuff and I would mm. argue now, or I'd 100% categorically say that you are a completely different person. Like for a positive, like there's so many elements that I have seen like Ryan Smith of like 20, 
20, like 2020, early 2020 to like now is like, a, like you're completely different. Like your actions are different and everything. And it aligns a, a lot more with like who you're looking to, well, where you're looking to go and the identity that you're wishing to like have. Whereas like you could have very easy and there's millions of people in the world that didn't do that. Like did just sit back and was like, okay, this is like the worst moment of my life. And they let it fester and get worse and worse and worse. But it was just a prime example there of you like spinning a negative into a positive. And now I don't think I might be wrong, but like, I can't see you regressing to the point that you ever went to that very first time, because I feel like you've now got all of the tools Like you're so much more equipped because of that stress you went through. Mm. You learned from it. You grew from that situation. And I think moving mm. forward, like, pretty sound. Yeah. Mm. It, it yeah, comes I mean, like, I had, like, an- kind of similar experience with, like, I had really bad back injury and surgery during the last couple of years. And, like, post that and for numerous other reasons, I just thought it was time, like, during lockdown, I went to therapy as well. And going through, like, that level of injury and, like, daily chronic pain before surgery for, for like, over a year was freaking horrible but it taught me so much mm-hmm. and it makes you so much more empathetic and you can understand now where someone's coming from if they do have anxiety for example and they're like, a lot of people wouldn't know if they're like oh i can't leave the house and you're like if you've never struggled with that yourself or you can't empathize with it then it's very hard to understand where someone's coming from but now that you've been through that mm. you can empathize with that like i think it just makes you such a better coach in so many ways um, that's yeah. and I think I used it I used it as an opportunity to talk about it as well and that's when people loved it because what I've come to learn is like as soon as you and you would have known like, like as soon as you grow a social media following people think people put you on this pedestal and think you're a superhero the moment that you show some vulnerability and some normality and show that you're actually relatable and was like oh like oh you're not just this like like online everyone was like oh you're Ryan this you're like hyperactive energetic guy who helps people and like is always so motivating and then the moment I was like yeah I have I got anxiety I had to see a psychologist rah rah people are like oh but people actually really like that because you're then relatable and you're 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 pulling yourself off of this like social media pedestal that people put you on as in like you're you're a celebrity and it's like don't get caught up with that like we're normal people we go through exactly the same like struggles that you go through but it's just you don't often see it. Mm. I think that's quite important. Thing. Yeah, it was such a uh, like it was a salient point what Emma said like there about you know you become empathetic like with the situation because Ryan are one hundred percent like I used to say to you didn't I? So we play for the same football team, and if Ryan would go home early, I'd be like, "What are you doing? Don't go. We got the beers. Like we're doing this, this, this." And then like <laughs> I now am much more aware, and like through that whole time when you used to come out, I never ever once pushed you ever like if you were like oh i'm just staying for a few and i'm going home like i never pushed you to be like what are you doing why are you going home but it now translates into like the business and even like my relationships with everyone else whereas before i might have been like lad 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 let's stay out and let's do all these things whereas now like i'm much more understanding even if i don't know if they have anxiety or not i'm still much more cautious to be like Mm. i mean it it aligns (laughs) Going back to what you were saying about uh, reading the mindset book, when you start to be like, ah, fixed mindset. Mm. Have you done, uh, read the four agreements? No. So it's basically read it first. But then the, one of the first agreements is like being impeccable with your word. And it's like talking about like the power of your speech to someone and how it can impact them. 
And I, I found out so much about myself and my childhood through it. But then I started to like, for the first month after reading that and after like the first agreement of being like impeccable with your word, every time someone used to say something like bad someone, I was like, you're not being impeccable with your word. Like you're so mean. Like it was like, literally happened for like the first <laughs> month. But um, Or when you read about like cognitive biases and like someone will be saying something and you're like, don't cost bias yeah. or like survivorship <laughs> bias or like you just start noticing these things. And I think that's what's useful about reading or about like I mean it doesn't have to be reading you can listen to these things or mm. whatever just being aware of these things like I would say especially cognitive biases because that can hold people back so much and like part of like say so the sunk cost bias is essentially plowing more effort into something that is no longer serving you and you see it all the time in all aspects like it could be in a fat loss aspect like still trying to reach that arbitrary scale weight goal when it's not offering you any benefit anymore, but you're, you're like, oh, but I said I would do that. And I've put so much effort in to do it now, like I have to do it. Or, um, I don't know, relationships that clearly aren't working anymore, but you're like, oh, but we've been together for eight years. And it's like, right, but that's a sunk cost now. Like, what would you do? And the way to get yeah. around a sunk cost bias is consider what you would do now had you not invested anything. Like, probably the most common example people use is like, failing businesses you're like oh but I've invested 10 grand in this business like I'll just put in another five because I think that'll boost it it's like it's quite clearly failing like would you invest in it now had you never invested in it before no right then don't invest in it like you have to cut that cost and it's painful sometimes to do that but that's what you need to do and in so many things in life we keep doing it like even if you just think about I don't know buying a meal at a restaurant and it tastes like shit and you're like should probably just finish it anyway because I've paid for it like doesn't make any sense to do it but yet we do these things or you're halfway through a movie and you're like well I'm halfway through so I may as well watch to the end and like why that's more wasted time that watching a movie you're not enjoying so you see it on like a smaller scale which probably doesn't make any difference if you're going to watch the end of that movie or not but then on a bigger scale where it's like am I going to spend the rest of my life with someone who I don't want to be with because I've already spent 10 years with them no like that's where things can be a bit more consequential, I guess. But once you start like identifying these biases that you have, survivorship bias is quite a good one as well. Like always looking up to people who have done really well. And like, I don't know, like, even if you look in social media, like James Smith, incredible, great guy, like good friend, really rate him. But there are hundreds of people that do very similar to him, thousands, millions probably that didn't get to where he is. So there's an element of luck. There's an element of knowing the right people. There's an element of right time, right place. And yet people still follow the exact formula that he's done and think they're going to get to the same place or anyone that's successful, really. You're like, oh, look, look at what they've done. They must know what they're doing. And part of it's luck. Like you might be like, Jeff Bezos left his career at 40. So I'm going to do the same with mine. And like, I'm going to start something (laughs) like, you know, and you're like, yeah, but there were loads of people whose parents invested in businesses that failed. You just don't hear about them because nobody knows who they are because they don't own massive businesses anymore. Like, there's a huge element of that as well. It, and that's probably something to be wary of if you're just looking at successful people and trying to emulate what they do. Like, I'm sure there's a lot you can learn, but having like a realistic expectation of that as well. Like, a lot of people, yeah. especially when it comes to physique and fat loss, a lot of people have got their results despite what they're doing, not because of what they're doing, which is why understanding like the underlying physiology behind fat loss is important. Like you might look at someone who's in incredible shape and they're like, yeah, I do keto. That's how I got here. Doesn't mean that that's 
the right way for you to get there. Like they probably got results almost despite doing keto or the fact that, you know, they created a calorie deficit via keto. doesn't really matter how they did it, but that was the fundamental principle. And so if you copy what they're doing, you could end up, you know, never enjoying carbs again, which would be very sad. But if you understand how they got those results, i.e. they resistance trained, they created a calorie deficit and that's how they got the results. Then you can copy what the, like the mechanism by which they got there. Mm. Yeah. It's ultimately copying their characteristics, isn't it? Their characteristics and their behaviors. Like don't try and emulate what they do, but look at what are their characteristics and what are their behaviors, which work for them, if that makes sense. And that then you can look, you know, is it because they're trustworthy, they're likable, they're honorable, like these kind of things, they're hard. See you, Hayden. I don't, don't know what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's the underlying principles, right? I mean, you could look at James Smith mm. and be like, do you need to do exactly what he does? No, and you won't get results doing that because you're not James Smith. But mm. does he show up every day? Yes. Is he active all the time? Yes. Like, does he follow social media trends? Yeah, like there are like certain things that he does which you can use, which will benefit you as well, but it doesn't mean you have to be mm. a carbon copy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people struggle to be themselves. Like people, people kind of, I think get, rather than looking internally at what they can work on to become better, we look externally to like, what can we work on to just emulate what someone else is doing, which yeah, you're right. It's like, isn't, there's, there isn't necessarily inherently wrong with it. You've got to look at it in a specific, um, way as it were, not just completely try and emulate it. Cause you've seen so many people like have like ripped off his stuff um, and they haven't got it. You know, people like firing out videos, they're copying what he does, they're calling people out and then they're like, oh, well, why isn't my following like growing up? And you're like, well, that's because that's him. Like he has his fan base, he has his followers that like the fact that he, like I don't swear on my social, my language out of social media and off of like work is awful. In work and in social media, for those of you listening, know that my language is impeccable and I do not swear. <laughs> but that's just because I've just never done it. But if I started effing and jeffing, I guarantee some of my followers will be like, yeah, no, that's not me. Yeah, because that, your magic you, is got... who you are. Like, it's not authentic. Like, James is authentically him. Yeah. I will say that he is potentially not quite like that in real life. But Yeah, someone else said that. He's not a sweat. And I was like, really? I was like, I'm not, the opposite. I would say like, that it's not real... that he doesn't swear, but it's just like he's actually a really, like, I think some people think he's, not a particularly Normal. nice guy, but he but really I, is. I find like his like his podcasts and his social media are very, very, very different. Like very different. Like you can like you see a much more like intellectual James Smith. I find it in his pod, obviously, but like in his podcast, than you will. But it's clickbait, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. He 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 knows marketing. He knows he he's he's yeah. a good marketer. He's smart. Yeah, yeah, he is smart. He does he does know a lot as well. Um, are you going to ISF? IFF? Yes. I am. ISF, are you guys going? IFS. I'm meant to be in Madrid um, that weekend, but I can't see that happening. So. Yeah, I'm meant to be at a festival. If the festival's cancelled, we would go. I was going. Good, um, good. You should go. Yeah. It's good. It's even just good for like networking as well and actually meeting people. And Did yeah. you go to the. Was it, was it Barcelona, the first one? Yeah. Is it, so you, was it Barcelona? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I... And this was just in London, obviously. Yeah, and it was meant to be in Lisbon, but COVID, didn't it? Yeah. 
COVID just stops everything. Uh, I tell you what we are going to is we're going to we got tickets to go see uh, during in November. Oh yeah, that's cool. Is that it? that's yeah, the live one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to go see just like what one of these because he's very similar to James. I think he's following in a very similar footpath, as it were. And it's exactly like you said. Like you can take things. Like he's everyone has their lucky break. Our lucky break was um, TikTok. TikTok. That's literally where we blew up from. Was TikTok right place, right time? We weren't. We post. Like, we've been on it like right from like the early doors before lockdown. Um. And it was luck from that. You know, I think, do you know Martin McDonald? Yeah. So he was, I remember him saying about luck and he was just like, I like your face when I mentioned that name. Um, <laughs> he, uh, well, he was like, um, he had a, a celebrity client, which was his lucky break, as it were. We were saying the other day, like, it's no, no discredit to Dieran at all. But Dieran's like lucky break was James. The fact that he was friends with James and, and them two work. So like everyone has that right place, right time, I think thing that happens for them that helps gives them the the edge and i think yeah i, I to, think it gives you a platform right well. but if you were like i mean if if yeah. martin was a shit coach she wouldn't have done anything with that platform so yeah you're yeah, right exactly. like it's having the break but then it's also yeah. having a platform like a big step up for me was going on chloe made this podcast a couple of years ago but like if i mm-hmm. had gone on it and had nothing to say wouldn't have done anything for me yeah you know same with, same with you break? guys on like tiktok like <laughs> What did you say? This is your big break. <laughs> oh, I said, is this not your? Is this not your big break? Is this? Have we got something mixed up here? <laughs> oh God! Um, no, it's you're our big break. You're our biggest guest so far. I think one wow, of our biggest guests. Very yeah. honest. You, I mean, you need to up your standards a little bit, but we. No, you want to. You are. We had. What do you have? We had Haley. Ma- do you have Haley Madigan? Yeah, Haley Madigan's way bigger than me. Yeah, as I said, I did think, oh yeah, no, Haley's probably biggest, but I didn't want to knock you down. Um, <laughs> we've had Haley. Uh, we had a girl called Wait. Oh, you might not, you probably won't know. A girl called Weight Loss Beth. A load of our followers asked. She she basically has lost a load of weight, and she does loads of low calorie recipes, which everyone obsessed. She's grain like it was like a t- it, yeah, it was, of it was like a TikTok that, trend, wasn't it? Where it was like, and then mm. she basically started posting her weight loss journey, and she is incredible weight loss journey. To be fair. Um, mm. But she, yeah. and she's so normal, really isn't she? down to earth, like really down to earth. Like so, like what we, what like us three here would like promote. She's learned a lot of it herself um, through her own journey, and then talks about like you know your mindset and about you know you're not going to lose weight every week. You've got to set realistic expectations and stuff, and it's really quite refreshing to hear from someone who isn't qualified, who's just mm. learned this themselves over the past few years. Um, dieting which is really but she was also really interesting she was also like wasn't she she's completely down to earth and in terms of like i actually don't really know how to answer that i just did this it works for me it probably won't yeah. work for anyone else rather than yeah i think that's so important because if she sort of came on and was like this is what i did this is what everyone should do but if she's very much like this yeah. is my journey and i'm more than happy to share it especially the psychological yeah. side but you know maybe you should speak to a professional about X, Y, and Z, or, you know, yeah. someone who well, has a degree in that or some education in that. We were convinced that she actually had a program. Like we thought this was her profession and stuff. And then when we came on, we're like, oh, I think it was you, didn't you? You said something about her, because she like does a ton of recipes and stuff like that. We're like, oh, do you, do you find this is your main source for your clients to like how you help them? And she was like, I'm a hairdresser. 
We were like, <laughs> what? Yeah. I was like, do you not have a cookbook or anything? She was like, no. Nah. She was like, I've been approached, but she's like, I just haven't done anything with it. Oh, she was so nice. like normal and naive. It was really yeah. nice. Yeah. And, but it's and so it is. genuine, she's isn't so... it? Like, she's just like, I just yeah. want to help other people because it's helped me as opposed to and like, this so... is my business. Yeah. And she's so conscious, exactly as you said, being like, this is what I did and this is what works for me. Like on everything, it's like, this is what I did, which worked for me. This is what I did, which worked for me. It's like, she never is like, you should do this. You should do that. She's like, this is how I, someone asked a question. She's like, well, this is how I overcome it personally, but you've got to find what works for you, which mm-hmm. is nice. Cause it's like, she's just almost like, you're just looking at a story from an outside, which I think what people like as well. Um, we are 47 We've minutes. We've taken in. a massive sideways, great. haven't we? We've, um, Shauna, yeah, I know. So the other thing we said we'll talk about is the three, I don't know if you've kind of touched base on this, the three points, Emma. Yeah, we that? were just, I, I mean, we were just ch- talking before, weren't we, about what we were going to talk about. I kind of assumed that we'd just be able to chat and like, I think the chat's been really good, but <laughs> I guess I thought we'd be quite interested to like compare notes between what you have come up with, like the three biggest, I don't know if mistakes is the right word or like barriers yeah. that people come up to Road when blocks. they're trying to roadblock. Okay. Yeah. Do, you wanna, do you want us to start? All right. Yeah. Kick off? Yeah. I feel intimidated now. I'm like, oh, she's about to come down a minute. Like, nah, you're wrong. <laughs> so the first disagree, disagree. <laughs> so these are these are our three. Whether no no apparent order uh, and no order of importance, and there's obviously more. But three of the common ones. Number one is managing expectations. So so many people don't manage their expectations with regards to what is achievable. You know how much you can lose in a space of time. My fitness pal doesn't do great at that because it's like, do you want to lose one pound a week, two pound a week, half pound? So managing expectations of like your goals that you set, managing expectations in regards to the amount of weight you'll lose. Like you're not going to lose weight every week. It's not going to be linear. And they're two of the things that we expect. We're like, oh, well, we're going to lose every weight. Wait, we're going to lose weight every week. The scale's always going to go down. It's not. It's not going to be this. Also that it's managing expectations around like a perfect journey. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to make so many mistakes, but as long as you learn from it, we always say, fail forward. Whatever happens, cool. It's an opportunity for you to learn, make an adjustment, and ultimately grow. If we don't make mistakes, we're never going to grow. Like, if you did everything perfectly first time, you wouldn't really grow into anything. You want to make mistakes so you can learn and address it. So managing expectations when it comes to weight loss and exactly what that contains. Um, number two would be... Uh, what was number two, Hayden? Uh, oh, progress outside of the scales. So we get so wrapped up in the scales about that going down. We forget other progress such as, you know, from the way clothes fit, photos, but also looking at habitual progress. And I talk a lot about this, about, you know, even from how you now set up, set up your kitchen. So no food visibly in sight. You've learned to shift that. How you now take a daily walk, how you now know that like when you're maybe craving something, you know, you have a choice, you can have it. Or sometimes you just sit with that feeling to identify your hunger. You know, these habits that you're learning along the way, these are all, like we said, positive things that you're doing, which are going to make weight loss a byproduct. Um, And the last one is what they don't do is addressing the problem rather than the cause. We look straight at nutrition and we look at, right, cool. I've just got to create the biggest deficit to get the biggest amount of weight loss and get shredded in eight days. And it's like, well, hold on. That's all good. You know, and anyone can get themselves into a calorie deficit. But if you don't look at what the cause was as to why you overconsumed in the first place, it will always be short term. And this is why you've done diets and you've got there before. And you're like, oh, I remember when I lost like 
five stone like 10 years ago and then I put it all back on. You're like, well, that's because you never changed your habits and behaviors. What led you to that place that you didn't want to be in? All you've done is put sticky tape on a leaky tap. Eventually the tap started leaking through again. And all you've done, what you've got to do is you've got to address, why was the, ta- the tap leaking in the first place? Because until you do that, your bathroom's just going to keep leaking. And as I always say, actually the bathroom's going to get worse the more times you keep putting tape on it, which is why like, you find that after you've dieted, you end up, most people diet, they say, and this is what I hear all the time, I've dieted myself fat. I'm heavier than when I ever first started dieting. My relationship with food is worse. My relationship with the scales is worse. And I'm like, you've got to fix the cause. Look at why it is that you're over-consuming because then you can actually produce long-term results. Not I think we've done quite well at um, talking about those already inside the podcast. I think, yeah, I I think know, we've covered them quite well, actually. Yeah, I think leading on from that last one as well is that fat loss is actually quite easy. It's not mm-hmm. actually that hard. Like, and I don't even just mean it's simple. I mean, it's not that hard. Most people who come to me have lost fat in the past, but maintenance yeah. is freaking hard. Like maintenance is the hard part and people, this comes from both sides. I think sometimes coaches get people results and then kind of leave them. And I think clients think, well, once I reach this goal, I'm done. No, no, like mm-hmm. maintenance is by far more important than the fat loss phase. So yeah. really like getting that into your head that you're going to have to keep working on these things. And that's how you maintain fat loss. And actually the definition of a successful diet is maintenance. It's not how much you lost in 12 weeks, how much you lost in eight weeks, six weeks, whatever. It's can you maintain that in a year? And that's how they define in the mm. research, like, was this a successful diet? Come back in a year, oh, like, God, have God. you maintained that weight loss? Yeah. And when I say maintain as well, like, I think people get fixated on the number that they finish their diet on. Not really that, but like within a range, like weight still fluctuates. And yeah, yeah maybe, maybe you lost 10 pounds and you put back on two. Like, I would suggest that's pretty yeah. damn successful weight loss in, in a year mm-hmm. like maintenance in a year yeah but i think that's a huge element um i think some of those are mine as well but i think when people are sort of starting out potentially there's a, a couple of roadblocks i see is thinking that their metabolism is broken so they have to diet on very very low calories which leads mm-hmm. into this sort of over restriction overindulgence cycle and the notion that if they don't drop to 1200 calories for some reason, that number always seems to go around. They don't lose weight. Do you know why that number is? Why? I found out. So I did loads of tick, like TikToks on it. Like just always used to say, oh, when you type in your calories and uh, when my type in your things, my fitness pal, it gives you 1200 calories. I found out because I spoke to a worker who used to work at my fitness pal at the headquarters. So basically, apparently, this is what he said, 1200, because this is why also a lot of doctors give 1200 apparently as well. 1200 is the minimum viable amount that you're allowed to buy the World Health Organization or something that you're allowed to assign to someone. So that's why, however someone is, if they give them and they put in their stuff, apparently like the lowest that like you're allowed to assign. I don't know if this is American and that's why it's transferred mm. or whatever, but 1200 is like the lowest that you're allowed to sign. So that's why when someone's like, yeah, I want to lose, you know, people put these unrealistic expectations into that app. It's like, well, we're not allowed to give you less than 1200. So that's why everyone gets 1200 because they're entering these unrealistic expectations and the app is set because of it's it's some government thing yeah that's set at 1200 is the lowest you're allowed to assign and this is what this like dude told me who used to work for my fitness pal i was blown away when he told me i was like didn't know that but i mean you see people drop lower than that right 
Mm. And and like there are diets that, that do lower than that, and like there are actually quite evidence based diets that suggest you be on six hundred calories, but that's more for specific populations with specific needs. But yeah, mm-hmm. like it, it ridiculously low calories, which you can't stick to. And I, one of the other problems is things like My Fitness Power, which give you the options of you know putting all your stats, and then do you want rapid fat loss or do you want slow fat loss and it's like of course everyone's like oh do i want results quicker or slower like no shit it's like do you want 100 pounds or 10 like of course you want the 100 pounds like you're like yeah why not i'll have fast results but there's none of like that will require x y and z (laughs) like there's no again it's that expectation of if you want really fast results then it's going to affect your life and it's going to mean you're pretty hungry and it's going to mean that your food choices are very very important Etc. 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 So anyway, I think that's that's one of the the big things is assuming that you need to drop calories really low, and part of that does lead into expectations because it's you know people who expect to lose two pounds a week and they're like right, well I've not lost two pounds this week, so I'm going to drop my calories. Yeah, and then you can't adhere to those calories. And and by the way, every single time, every time, it's adherence. It's not a broken metabolism. It's adherence. Mm. And I know that people are like, no, it's not for me. Like, I am sticking to this. It, it's impossible. Like, you cannot store calories that aren't there. I know people talk about like starvation Such an mode and conversation to have though. Huh? It's a tough conversation. Such an yeah, but, conversation, but yeah. it should be empowering to people because if your metabolism is broken, mm-hmm. then well, yeah, fuck, exactly. can't you? Yeah. Like, then yeah. you do have to <laughs> die on low calories. But if actually it's an adherence problem, that's fixable. If actually it means you need to increase your calories, and this is a bit of a lie that people are told people that people project normally like shitty celebrities that don't understand physiology, but essentially that your metabolism is broken. So you need to increase your calories to ramp up your metabolism. And that's how you'll lose weight. No, no, no. You increase your calories that you can actually stick to your calories. Thus you're creating a deficit over time. Thus you lose weight. So then they're selling programs that are like, this is my reverse dieting program blah 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 this will help you lose weight i have so much of that recently of like um questions about like how do i reverse diet so i'm doing a reverse diet at the moment and i'm like okay cool so what are you doing and they have no clue yeah like reverse diets are completely stupid and the only reason that i would ever slowly increase someone's calories is psychological like if you're if you're dieting and then you're like right i'm ready to come up to maintenance really the best thing to do is to come up to estimated maintenance and you're never going to know exactly what that is but Otherwise, you're just prolonging the diet. You're just in a deficit, albeit a smaller one, for a longer period of time. So the mm-hmm. only reason I do it slowly is psychological reasons, because people sometimes freak out going up to maintenance. It's yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. It's just yeah. buzzwords, isn't it? Like uh, the amount of people that I hear, I'm like, what what are you doing right now? And they're like, calorie deficit. And I'm like, what? So what does that look like? And they're like, I'm counting calories. Like they're they're just using the buzzword to yeah. say that's what the method that they're doing right now. That there's no meaning behind it. Or when they say that it doesn't work. They're like, so I'm, I'm looking to lose weight. I've got about like three stone to lose and I've tried everything. Literally, I've tried like Slimwell, Weight Waters. I've tried a calorie deficit and I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. I'm like, she do know a calorie deficit is like the underlying foundation for what all of them are laid on. And they're like, yeah, I'm just doing a calorie deficit. It doesn't work. And I'm like, so you're not doing a calorie yeah, or, deficit. Yeah, or the classic, I've been in a deficit for about six months and still not lost weight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which which like, months? I mean, we shouldn't, like, we shouldn't really laugh at because it's just a, it's like a slight misunderstanding, isn't it? Yeah. it essentially, mm. what they're yeah. saying is, I've tried to create a deficit for six months. I've not yeah. been able to do it. Thus, I've not lost weight. So, okay, um, we need to... And actually, the fundamental of that is realizing 
Okay, so you haven't created one, but now let's figure out why you haven't created one and how we yeah. can help you create that. Mm-hmm. It's education as well. And like, well, we, we have a whole education course inside our academy that we run for the women and that they, they get for life. This is our important thing about like the longevity. So we teach them, you know, how to, we, although we obviously do it for them, we teach them how to set up, you know, their own diet. We teach them about uh, metabolism. We teach them about maintenance, how to maintain it, life after, you know, using things like my fitness pal. And I think that's such an important thing is that everyone just wants to lose the weight, but sometimes we're not willing to do the work that's going to get us the results that you want. We're kind of just want to do as little as possible to get the results. Whereas, like I said, most people come like when they're like, I've, I've been in a calorie deficit for six months and I haven't lost weight. And it's like, well, if you knew what a calorie deficit really was, you'd understand that that statement wasn't true. But but they don't. They don't understand the education. So I think education is a massive part of to like how people then can actually, because like you've said multiple times, Emma, it's like empowerment. It empowers you to know what you're doing. Like we always say, we created that educational portal so that we can empower you to become self-sufficient. You have everything you need in that portal to lose weight and keep it off. We talk about everything, habits, your environment, all this stuff. And it's like, as long as you go through that, you are now empowered to know exactly what to do, when to do it, um, which I think people miss out on. I think one thing that that helped us grow as well is we were two guys that talked often about the menstrual cycle and how a lot of people's problems like your typical problems of cravings and the scales fluctuating. They're like two of the most common things that people struggle. And we're eventually like, well, most of the time that's going to come because your cycle. And actually when you're weighing yourself, you know, we show them a lot about comparing week one of one cycle to week one of another cycle to show how the hormonal changes can affect your scale weighings. And, you know, we've had women that are like 50 that I never knew all this about my cycle. And they were like, and it's literally just been mind blowing. They're like, I've always struggled with scale weight fluctuations. And now they know, and you know, I have people in my inbox be like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be like, I'll make a TikTok about like, oh, the frustrations when your weight jumps up right before your cycle. And you'll get comments like, I never knew this until I watched a TikTok, but now I know when I jump on that, instead of quitting my diet, I now just stick at it because I know it's water, it's water retention. And you're like, that's amazing. And it's just education that they've got. But I'd argue like your, your, your education knowledge is good as well. We're not taught that. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I've only been doing it 10 years. Yeah. Like, we're not taught that. I only have two yeah, degrees. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, yeah, your knowledge is like better than, I can't say better than mine. Your knowledge is a lot better than mine. But like uh, we, we, we've done courses, we've read um, like Lyle McDonald's book, the woman's book has been incredible for learning about cycles and the outlay and helping educate. And it's like, but we're never taught that on trainers courses or, you know, nutritionist courses to an extent like it's not EIQ nutrition teaches this in great detail it also applies it very well yeah. so I I would actually argue that a lot of this is being misapplied and uh, well you've mentioned the book already now but it, it kind of looks at one side of an argument and actually there's quite a lot of evidence to prove for example like strength gains at one at one part of the cycle but there's also evidence to prove that that isn't the case as well so it's weighing these things up and then it's also applying that to real life people like who gives a shit if technically your hormonal balance means that you're stronger during the first like during your period if you have so much like cramp that you can't train during that time fucking irrelevant like it's so individual i think anyone any personal trainer that's giving out generic information of how to train or eat around your cycle is massively short-sighted because Every woman's cycle is different. It's a different length. Mm. 
it has different side effects for everyone. And actually, even like I'll have months where I don't have many side effects at all. And I'll have months where I have really bad side effects. And I'll have four week cycles mm. and five week cycles. Like you cannot just use one generic like principles of this. And that's what and I think, Hayden, hey, no, you always said, sorry, you, Hayden, you always said to me, wasn't it? When we were posting up just like information about it, like, if you're getting cravings, it might be because of this. And I remember Hayden was always like, always add on it. This is individualistic. Like this is like a, this is like, you know, it, it, it's around 28 days. These are some of the symptoms that you can face. The severity of these symptoms, some might experience all of them or some might experience 10% of them. Some might experience them the other way around. It's like, you don't know. You have to try. And I always say on my cat, I'm like, you have to track it yourself and see how you go and then just, adjust and auto-regulate it with regards to what it is that you experience. Like here's the the face value information, but what you've got to do is take that and then apply it to yourself. Whereas, yeah, you're right, because otherwise some people can just like take my information. They're like, Ryan said that I need to be doing this at this time. And that's why Hayden's always like, always make sure it's like, say it's individualistic and that if you've got like PCOS or menopause, this isn't. So I always near enough yeah, have to like say add men- disclaimers. Yeah, menopause <laughs> is another big one. Like a lot of my clients are going through menopause at the moment and that's huge and that can just completely disturb your cycle <clears throat> and mean that you have way bigger. It's kind of like your monthly cycle potentially a thousand times that because of the hormonal fluctuations mm. that you're experiencing at certain times. So yeah, it's like that on steroids. I've got a client at the moment. We had literally had this conversation yesterday, and like Ryan was saying, like the framework is there. Of like what potentially can happen, and she basically like at no point during the cycle she ever has higher cravings or anything like that. She's literally just like it seems pretty set like throughout the whole month like, as it is. And she was like, so like because my cravings are meant to be higher in, you know, like the luteal phase, should I be eating more? I'm like, no, like if you feel like fine, like don't, it's okay. Mm. And she was like, okay, so should I not be training as hard then in that like luteal phase? I'm like. Yeah, that's the problem, right? That's, that's the problem when you're almost projecting onto people. And and often actually this can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you tell someone that they're going to be hungrier at a certain week, they'll be hungrier at a certain week. Yeah. If you don't really say yeah. anything and then allow people to come to you with it, do you know what? I always really struggle with cravings. Okay, now we can help you deal with that. But if you tell people how they're going to feel, they'll end up feeling like that. Yeah, I always say, like, it's, mm. isn't it? It's like, it's really interesting. Just the best thing anyone can ever do, like, all science aside, is like, become your own best scientist, put your lab coat on, and like, just become your own best scientist in any situation that it is, and like, learn from that more than like, Kind of anything else. Yeah. What um actually yeah, I did want to like going back to I can't remember at what point we were saying it, but going back to like people thinking like my fitness power is the sole reason why they will like achieve their fat loss goals, or it's like them hitting ten thousand steps is like that's the magic number that's going to uh, help them achieve their fat loss goals. But we talk an awful lot, don't we, Ryan? And say like, do you know what? The reason that we get you to track calories is more because you then become more of a like health-seeking individual. The reason we get you to track protein is because you become more protein conscious. And these are the habits that going away to that uh, and moving into that maintenance side of things, when you no longer like you're feeling super confident, you don't need to track anymore, anything like that. Like these are the habits that you're now building up because you can go to a restaurant, you're so now well-educated to be like, 
I know that that's a calorie dense meal. I know that that's not so much calorie dense meal. You know what a protein option it is. Same with the steps. Like, again, you're just becoming more of a health seeking person who moves more. You're more likely to then get the stairs instead of the escalators. It's not necessarily like, yes, those actions obviously will get you there, but it's the habits and behaviors behind us telling you these numbers and these to track your calories and to be more protein like focus or that protein number is to build these habits into your life. So when you don't track, you're still doing those things. Sorry, I keep hitting my mic. It's rookie error there. <laughs> yeah, no. So. I think a message I quite like to get across to people is that it's not the specific numbers that really matter. And actually there are numerous layers to inaccuracies on my fitness pile. Like not only is it open source data, but there will always be user error. Even if you think yeah. you're really good at tracking, mm -hmm. you're not. Like yeah. there is always user error there. And then yeah. on top of that, there's also <clears throat> like errors on food labels. So food labels are allowed to be up to 20% inaccurate. That's Man, huge. Yeah. And mm. then there's the caloric availability of food, which not many people think about, but whatever, you know, a, a food says on a label, how many calories are in it, that isn't necessarily how much you absorb. So a good example mm. of this is whole foods versus highly processed foods. What do you think you actually absorb more of? Sweet corn, which seems to come out similar to how it went in, or like a Dorito, which is also made of corn. Like you're going to, even if it was 100 calories of sweet corn versus 100 calories of corn, you've absorbed more of those 100 calories from the sweet corn. So caloric availability of food is something that not many people think about. And the only reason I ever bring it up isn't to make people more anal about things and be like, oh, I need to figure out what the caloric availability of this is. Mm. It's to say it isn't accurate. Like you won't be accurate. You will be mm. like your tracking is not right. Like it won't ever be right. But the benefit that you're getting from tracking isn't really the numbers. It's the education around portion sizes. It's the education around energy density of different foods. It's the it's having consistent data from which to change, like to change. So if you're not losing on 1800 calories, okay, if you've been there consistently, then we need to drop it. Whether that is actually 1800 calories or not, it's kind of besides the point. It's consistent data, even if it's consistently inaccurate. And tracking makes you more mindful. It makes you consider choices. It makes you have that pause between there's some food and I'm just going to eat it. It makes you accountable for mm. everything that you're putting in your body. So and true. those you are the benefits. You understand macronutrient. Huh? You understand macronutrients. It's been so surprising over the time of coaching how many people didn't know what a protein-dense food was yeah yeah like things like protein and, and that again affects caloric availability of food as well but that's the benefit you're getting from tracking it's not necessarily about the numbers and i think people get so fixated yeah. on the numbers and that can actually lead to like disordered eating type tendencies of you know feeling like one they can never move away from tracking or two that like if they even go 10 calories over they've ruined their diet or this all or nothing mentality and when you realize how inaccurate it is you kind of like chill out a little bit that you know if you've gone a little bit mm. over by 10 calories or a little bit under by 10 calories like it doesn't hugely matter yeah it's so true and like well do you sorry i was just gonna say then cool. you, it's like when you um that whole debate of like restaurants bringing in calories and stuff and i was like, like there's there's loads mm. of like pros and cons either way depending on what side of you're looking at but still at the end of the day do you think the restaurant is going to be like this is 132 calories exactly i'm like of course it's not like they're not going to start weighing every single item of food. And even then they can't still be accurate, mm. but like it's, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. And it is about having that awareness more than anything else than the actual number itself. Like, a, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think that's what you go back to when you said, Emma, it gives people that, talking about that food labels in restaurants, it does give people that opportunity. They're about to make a choice and they're like, hmm, that is 800 calories. That is quite a lot of calories. It helps people make more health conscious decisions. Like it's not like causing mad disordered eating. Like I know some people are like, stupid, it's going to cause disordered eating. People are going to feel nervous to eat out. And it's like, well, no, because you can still have whatever you want. It's just, it is sometimes going to allow you to make a more goal-focused decision in and of that moment. I also think that given our food choices now and that we live in a massively obesogenic environment, it's actually quite important to understand how many calories we're eating because even a relatively small portion size can be a hell of a lot of calories and people Mm. just don't realise it. And there's been numerous research that shows that we're sort of driven to eat via portion size as opposed to caloric density. So quite a lot of research has shown that if you're if you have someone eat to satiation, they'll eat a certain weight of food. And you could think of weight as largely portion side as well. And whether that weight is comprised of 400 calories or 800 calories, it doesn't matter. We're driven to eat roughly the same weight of food. So if you eat foods that are high in volume, i.e. fruit and veg, which has a lot of water in and weighs quite a lot compared to the calories in it, you will habitually eat less. Now, most of the food that's available, like when you're going out to restaurants, they want to make it as tasty as possible. So it it tends to be quite calorically dense foods, which means that, yeah, you'll be driven to eat more of it. And we live in a society now that has a really big obesity problem. So, yeah, part of that might be helping people be aware of how much energy they're taking in. It's as simple as Mm. that. Yeah. What? um... Yeah, that's the nail on the head. Yeah. What what point did we get to? Was it like you said the? Was it, did you say the third? Uh, I don't think I said three, but we've we've kind of been through a lot. So yeah, like I guess I was talking <laughs> about binge restrict and this like all or nothing mentality as well. Like Ooh, the that's mindset. a big one. That's that's huge. Yeah. Actually. If you if you go slightly off track, then you may as well just throw in the mm. towel and 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 really, it's not the going quote unquote off track that's the problem. It's the mindset behind it and then the subsequent behaviors so it's not that you had a couple of beers it's that you had a couple of beers and then you thought well fuck it i'll have a pizza as well and then the next day i'm hungover so i ate mcdonald's and blah 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 and then you don't get on your diet till the next week again that's what impacts your results it's not it's not going over by a few beers it's not going over by a little bit it's not one meal out it's the consequence of that and and the impact on like your motivation to keep going so i think that is a huge one and it, sometimes it's useful just to take that out of context and put it into other areas of life like if you spill a little bit of milk you're not going to be like may as well pour all of this milk all around my kitchen like no you'd be like oh I've spilled a little bit of milk I'll just wipe mm. it up like you had a cookie okay deal with it and move on you don't think may as well eat all of them which yeah, yeah. Is, tends to be where we yeah. go with diet same with like people mm. always use the oh if you had one puncture you wouldn't be like might as well slash all my tires on my car. Like it doesn't make any sense to do that. But yet we do it with diet and exercise. Like, oh, didn't get to go to the gym today. Oh, well, may as well not diet or exercise for the rest of the week. Like, because Monday wasn't perfect. And that's something we need to get out of. And and like a message that I'm constantly driving home is this imperfect action. And the fact that you'll get the vast majority of your results from just hitting the basics and it doesn't need to be perfect. And it actually trying to have a perfect diet is one way to lead you to like disordered eating type tendencies as well. So really focusing on the fact that there isn't a perfect diet, like 
we don't even know what that would look like. So don't try and emulate that for yourself and just follow those basic principles. It's because you've got like yeah. a lot of people, they do, they have the association, don't they, with good foods and bad foods. And when you're eating good foods, all things are great. Like you're smashing it, you're crushing your goals. But when you have a bad food, you've ruined it. You're completely off track and you can only, well, there's no point even bothering eating any good food. You might as well just always eat the bad food. And then you get go through that dieting loop of like feeling guilty, restricted, and all that kind of stuff. I typically see. Yeah, it's. <clears throat> we always say to our clients, like, think of them like lifestyles. Like, sometimes you have the weight loss dial, the socializing dial, the work dial, the families. It's like you can't always have all of them up. Like, sometimes some of them need to be turned down here and there. And I'm always like, if you've got a meal out with family for a birthday, it's like, cool. Weight loss dial gets turned down. The family and socializing dial gets turned up. You never turn it off. It's like you just turn it down because your priorities are slightly being shifted towards making memories. You can still make some relevant choices at that meal. You can maybe go over a few hundred calories and your weight loss might be a little bit less on that one day, but it doesn't matter because again, it's like you're just turning it down, not off. Again, the next day you wake up, cool. The socializing one gets turned down. The weight loss dial just gets turned up again and and off you go. And I think it's that they talk about in this 15 invaluable laws of growth about this perfection gap when we always struggle to start stuff because we want it to be this perfect journey and weight loss has unfortunately fallen into that. It's like there never is this perfect journey. Like you said, Emma, there's no perfect diet. You're never going to be able to just have uh, eight weeks without a social event or without any cravings or without you going over your calories. It's going to happen, but it's what you do with that when it does happen is what is the difference ultimately between like succeeding and not succeeding if you allow it to happen. And I think we were talking about it like normalizing it, like normalize shit, like normalize occasionally going over your calories, normalize that you occasionally go out for drinks and you maybe drink one too many. The moment that you put all these things on a pedestal, that's when it becomes an issue. It's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm dieting, so I, I'm not going to touch like any chocolate at the moment. It's like, but normalize those things. I think we were talking about in a coaching call the other day, normalize all these different things that we consider that we can't do. If you're like, no, no, you can. Like recently with one of our clients, she was constantly like, long story short, she's in Bali. She's with friends, there's a lot of social stuff. And she was like, I just always like to have like a beer in the evening or some stuff. She's like, but I always find I'm, I'm just going over my calories. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I was like, let's just, well, I was like, why don't you just assign like a portion of calories for that evening after your dinner, like 250 to 300 calories, just assign it to your, like your post dinner. I call it your soul foods. I was like, this is your soul foods for the day that you can just have those 300 calories and you beer, Chris, whatever. She, I literally spoke to her earlier. She's doing it four days. She was like, this is the best thing I've ever done. She was like, because some days she's like, I'm not even spending those calories. She was like, I'm not spending all of them because I have to. She was like, I've just had a beer. She was like, and then I didn't spend the rest. She was like, and then I know I've got, you know, I can have more the next day. And she was like, it's now just taken that like, that pull of these being like, oh, bad foods I can only have sometimes. And she's like, actually, I can have them every single night. And she's like, and I'm still making progress, which is just like blown my mind. It's now normal that if she wants to, I mean, I said, don't have a beer every night. I was like, three nights a week, so it'll crash your sleep. I was like, but <laughs> it now then normalizes like just having something in the evening because you want to. Like, there's nothing yeah, wrong with that. Or I guess just focusing again on like average calories. Like, you can't go over your calories. Yeah. yeah. Because we're looking at averages here, and that's how you get results. It's the average of your behaviors over time, that average of your calories, your actions. And like, mm. I do similar with clients. I think that often, flexible dieting is too flexible for people or just setting a calorie target yeah. or a protein target is like okay but what does that look like in food so often to start out with people i'll set them 
like a basic structure for them that might be might be 1200 calories and then i'm like here are your whatever soul calories or like calories that mm-hmm. you can play with on top of that because actually you need to eat about 1800 calories so you've got yeah, this no. structure where i know that you're hitting all of like the non-negotiables i have for diet i know you're getting in all the principles and the good stuff and then you've got this stuff to play with that you can do with what you want and like you said you might not use them all but you can and mm. there's that flexibility there yeah. and that kind of takes away the restrictions i think that maybe we make this the last point but like the the other thing that people really struggle with with dieting is perceived restriction like restriction isn't real in the sense that you can like you, we could be on the same diet and i feel restricted and you don't you can't tell me that i don't feel restricted mm. but often it's your mm-hmm. mindset around the diet so when people say oh 1200 calories is restrictive it is to some people i mean that is quite restrictive but like <laughs> let's say 1800 calories is restrictive like that is for some people and it isn't for others and a lot of that's how you're approaching that like if you're the like how you're mm. talking to yourself around it and i think that perception of restriction is what holds people back a lot whereas you know if you steal from intuitive eating the principle of you have unconditional permission to eat whatever you want whenever you want that's true whether you're dieting or not but own your like own your actions mm. yes you can do whatever the yeah. fuck you want whenever you want but it all has consequences everything in life has mm-hmm. consequences that's what makes it fair like yeah yeah you can eat 3000 calories today not going to aid your fat loss if that's your goal but you can do whatever you want so stop telling yourself that you have to do this or you have to do that and start reframing it into like i get to fuel my body with good food today and i get to eat in a way that's going to get me closer to my goals and i get to go to the gym it's not i have to go to the gym i have to only eat x amount of calories and i think simply changing like the wording and you you probably get this as well but sometimes it might seem like a little bit pedantic when you're like no no like it's not you should do this, it's you get to do this. So it's not you have to do this, it's that there's an opportunity for you to do this. But that really starts changing it. And even if you just pick that up in yourself in your own head, you're like, oh, I keep telling myself I should be doing this or I have to do this. And actually if you just reframe it into I get to do this, even with business stuff, like how cool is it that people want to work with us? Like I get to Mm. program for X amount of people. Mm. I get to do a podcast. Instead of like before this, I could have been like, oh, I said I'd do this podcast, I have to do it. I'm like, oh no, I get to speak to two awesome coaches. Like I get to learn, I get to share some knowledge. Like that's, that's a cool thing to do, right? And it's just a flip of words. We, we paid her to say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, always, I always say flip the words, flip the word from, rest- from restrict to restraint. There's just some times that you have to have restraint. You can't go nailing two dominoes. I always use this example, I don't know why. I'm like, you can't nail two dominoes at like 5,000 calories every single day because you ultimately won't get to your goal. So it's not that you can't, you could, but you just ultimately know that the consequence would be you put on body fat. So it's just sometimes you have to have some restraint. Like you get faced with decisions. If you want to overconsume on one day and go to an all-you-can-eat Chinese, cool, not a problem. But it just knows that like that's okay and it's just not going to be inherently in line with your goals at this moment in time. So yeah, yeah like I always you try can and go and spend word, all of your money. Like yeah. you can splurge all of your money the day after payday, fine, but yeah. it's not going to be enjoyable for the rest of the month. Like mm-hmm. it has consequences. Yeah. You'll you, end you, up in uh, debt. Yeah, you have to pay it back. That's what and it is. It's it's you you have to take ownership and be accountable. It's like you can go splash five thousand calories in one day, but ultimately then like you you can either have no rate of fat loss this week or for the next like ten days, or you're going to have to pay that back because. Unfortunately, we only need a certain amount. It's like you, there's no ifs, ands, or buts around that. I'm like, 
it is just the way it is. I'm like, so we've either got to have restraint or we've just got to actually take ownership on what it is that we've done and, and therefore kind of take, take, like you said, take responsibility. We've got to, got to take responsibility. That's that tough love coming in, isn't it? Yeah, I think that is literally like the perfect way to wrap this, uh, this awesome episode up. Unless thank you very much, much for having me. No, thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Mm. No, it's awesome. We appreciate it. And you can find Emma, drop your handles, drop your, because I know some personal trainers follow us as well. So there might be trainers that listen to this. So drop everything. Drop everything. Awesome. So you can probably, you can find everything that I do at, at ESG fitness on Instagram or www.esgfitness.co.uk. Boom. Love that. Love that. So make sure you give Emma a follow if you want to learn more and more and more. Uh, she also has her own podcast, don't you? What's your podcast called? It's called ESG Fitness. <laughs> yeah, I know. Original, you, you, right? If anyone inboxes me and you can't find Emma, I'm going to be disappointed <laughs> because it's one place. Yeah, yeah. There's one place for everything. everything. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on. Well, look, thank you ever so much, Emma. Yeah, it has been awesome. It's really nice to get someone on who has got some great insights into everything we're doing. And off now, I hope you have a wicked day. And everyone else who's listening, watching, see you in the next episode. See you in the next one. Bye. Bye-bye. See ya. Thank you.